you are listening to the Diary of a Head Teacher. This week I was delighted to welcome my first guest onto the podcast. I sat down with a fellow head teacher, Erin, to discuss her approach to school leadership and how in the short time that she has been at her school, she has created a culture based on deliberate noticing, giving the best to all learners, looking for the positive in every day, and importantly, bringing your joy into the story you are telling. So Erin, I know that you have recently started as a head teacher, but I want to kind of take you back to your own schooling. So what is your earliest memory of school? So I actually remember being in nursery. I remember attending nursery that was attached to my school. I have a really vivid memory of using the old BBC computer to type up a recount of my aunt's wedding when I was probably four at that point. And <laughs> I remember doing that. And it was a great recount, to be honest. I mean, the fact that I managed to do that as a four-year-old. So I remember huge chunks of my schooling because I did not enjoy it. I hated being at school. It was boring. It didn't mean anything to me. I didn't need to learn to read. I did not need to learn to do maths. In year six, I used to sit with my feet on the desk and read P.G. Woodhouse with my legs crossed when everyone else was learning maths. I probably should have, in hindsight, actually bothered to learn long division because I still can't do it. But... <laughs> School was not for me. And that continued into secondary school. I was the child who was asked, like, if you think you can teach this better than me, why did you gap and do it? My <laughs> teachers did not know my name unless it was because they told me off. The overwhelming picture of me that my friends had was that I was bored by school. So I, I hated it. So do you think, having um, that been your school experience, have you ever kind of, um, I guess, re-met up with or spoken to teachers or anyone from your school do you think they'd be sort of surprised that this is the path that you ended up going down I think they'd be surprised that I was ahead mm. I think a lot of them especially because I like being with people I like talking I mean you know that I like talking a lot <laughs> and they I don't think they'd be surprised that I was doing something with people I think they'd be surprised that I was still in school mm. So I always took the kind of the easier options for work experiences. My mom worked in a school, so I used to go and do that. I did try being an NHS occupational therapist, my sixth form work experience. I'm not physically strong enough for that kind of thing. Hats off to the NHS for everything they do. I think that my primary school head teacher, Mr. Burgess, would be genuinely shocked that I and I'm able to be in class and like do do things where I'm not just sitting outside his office being bored or sitting in the next class up doing their comprehension work and I think my secondary head teacher wouldn't actually remember who I was interesting so yeah. it's not I mean I guess it sounds like and knowing you I know that intelligence wasn't the problem so what do you think or not the problem but what do you think what was it about school that um, just didn't kind of gel with you was it their kind of approach and I guess has that then shaped how you lead now massively shaped how I lead now and how I teach and how I approach teaching teachers to teach because a lot of school when I was at school was about about compliance about getting through the subjects but also the way that behavior was managed at the school I was at was not it was not managed well and the emphasis was not necessarily on the interest in the teaching it was around kind of compliance and getting everyone to just behave in the lessons mm. so when I teach and the way I lead it's around ensuring that everyone has what they need to be successful and feel regulated 
And obviously I come from SEM background. I was a Senko for five years before doing this. And I think that really shapes the way I am with the children. So it's interesting actually because I I wonder whether you are there certain pupils that you think you have more empathy with because of your own school kind of experience. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure having you you've seen me teach, you've seen me with the children, you can see which ones I have more time for. Mm. But that, in all fairness, I have time for every child and every mm. adult, and my kind of passion is around making sure everyone feels supported and welcomed in any environment and they feel like they can shine and that that goes across everything whether that child or whether their parents believe they're super gifted or whether they need loads of extra help it's my job to help them feel comfortable and happy coming to school so that they're not bored or resentful of where they are and what they need to do day to day Perfect. And I guess you, you touched on a little bit that you were a Senko, so um, you know, somebody who was in like overseeing special educational needs and, and um, that kind of inclusion aspect of it as well. Um, how does being a head kind of differ to the other roles that you've had in schools? I think well, currently I am both head and Senko, so I'm lucky enough to be able to keep that's the SEN side of things and be able to have those parent meetings. I think being a Senko prepares you really well for being a head. And I know it's not the traditional journey into headship, but I actually think it's one that more, head, more Senkos should think about. Because being a Senko, you do the parent meetings, you're used to the paperwork, you're used to spinning all those plates, you understand the promo assessment gateway, the applications for extra time. You know more about every child in the school than the head probably does. Mm. So it's really prepared me incredibly well for understanding every child and making sure they can get the best out of their life in school. Mm. And do you think there's um, you know, one particular lesson that you learned on your journey to headship that you feel has really helped? Or you know, if you were going to give someone who is new to that headship a piece of advice from something, do you think there was anything that you started in September that you already had, I guess, that you already possessed that was really helpful? I think it's about not losing your enthusiasm. Mm. You've chosen headship because you want to make a difference mm. because you are passionate and you care about the kids. And it's so easy if you're on a journey of change or when things get tough or the nights get dark or whatever it is that you kind of lose that enthusiasm, you become dispirited. I think it's about for all heads finding your way back to that passion and knowing that you're here to help the children, to help the parents, to help your staff and help them feel like they want to be in your building. And I think, sorry. No, go on. Just like reflecting on kind of the qualities that I'm kind of building on, I care a lot about a lot of things. Mm. And it's bringing that deliberate care, that deliberate positivity, that deliberate noticing into everything so that you are looking for that positive thing in every day. Even if it's been a rubbish day, there'll be something that has made you smile or something that someone has said that will make you go back and keep going and keep on your journey the next day. Yeah. And actually that's just what I was going to sort of say, I suppose, was just around it, it, what really sounds like you're talking about is that kind of culture. Um, and I guess one of the big things that I kind of noticed and we spoke about this the other week is that you as the head are sort of setting the tone of reaction to things and how people, you know, just by the way that you treat people, how other people treat um, 
the other people around them as well. Um, I guess, how do you feel that is, that's been going? How do you feel the people aspect of, of headship has, has been in your first sort of half term? I'm really lucky. My staff have been overwhelmingly positive about the journey that we're on and the direction that we need to move to ensure that we are giving the best to all our families and all our learners. And I think for the staff at my school, they've been very much isolated, even before COVID happened, in their own little bubble, not very outward looking. So they've not had a chance to move with the developments in teaching that have happened the last two, three years, especially around research, especially around curriculum development. And it's been around empowering them. They have been very much tucked in their own little bubble and it's been helping them see, oh, we can look outward and other schools aren't in competition all the time with us. They, mm. they want to help us. Mm. We can share practice. And supporting them with that has been a real joy. And they have loved it. And seeing their enthusiasm grow and them beginning to come to me with their own ideas. Can I try this? I've seen this. I've read this. I would like to do this has been absolutely brilliant. And it's something that I'm hoping to keep fostering with them as we move forward on our journey. Mm. And, and so I guess what do you feel is the connection between a positive kind of happy enthusiastic staff and then what that then does for the children kind of quite obvious isn't it Mm. if staff (laughs) love coming to work they're going to bring their passion into the classroom which means children are going to be infused by their learning i think we all know we've all read a story in a really sad voice and children have been like i can care less but the minute you put your passion your acting voice on and you perform that story to children it doesn't matter what that story is they're going to want to learn more. Case in point, I love Harry Kane, but his CBB story, The Lion Inside, <laughs> it is not well read. I mean, I, he's great. And as a footballer, fantastic. As a leader, brilliant. He's doing great things. As a storyteller, he probably needs some pointers about bringing his joy into the story he's telling. And that's what teaching is. It's telling a good story. Mm-hmm. It's bringing those children into the past, bringing the children into the maths equation that you're teaching and telling them the story of how you solve it and getting them to hang on your every word so that they are drinking it in and you're getting that feedback loop of what you're sending out is coming back to you. I mean, I'm feeling inspired just talking to you. Um, (laughs) So is there anything, I guess, in that sort of first period of headship that has surprised you or wasn't what you kind of expected? How many policies there are? Why are there so many policies? I'm never going to stop reading policies. It's daily. More and more. Shame you really don't know why we have so many. I don't know if that's something you've noticed in. It's yeah, it's an issue. It's like trying to draw a parallel as well, I guess, for other workplaces. I presume everyone has the kind of HR aspects. Um, and I remember so when I started at my school, um, we have a system where it it's quite helpful because everything is in one place. All the policies are recorded and, and uh, you get a deadline to tell you when you need to update the ones you're responsible for. And um, it's quite easy to kind of set new policies and have people read them. When I started, there were 212 documents that I had to read <laughs> that were marked as unread. Um, and so I, yeah, I think my thing with school is I, uh, I don't necessarily think I need to know what all of those um say but i do need to know which ones exist and which ones i need at a particular time i suppose 
Um, so, you know, if there's uh, some sort of uh, concern, I know that I'm following the right um, procedures, I suppose. Um, but it does, it almost feels like, yeah, that they are there incidentally to protect you against something. And then there's another policy to protect you against that eventuality. And they're all kind of second guessing the one before it. Um, they all link in anyway. At the beginning of every policy, it's like this policy references these 15 policies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like that has been my life. And I wasn't expecting to have to review and add my name to the bottom of so many. Yeah, that might be something we need to explore in future podcast episodes as well. Do, do other workplaces have kind of death by paperwork as well? I feel like there are other workplaces. There is someone, there's a whole team of people that deal with those things. Whereas for headship, it's literally you. I mean, yesterday I was in the playground in my Wellingtons unlocking drains. Then I did a school tour. Then I reviewed a few more policies. Then I did some kind of HR type things with staff. I did a lesson observation and I did a health and safety walk around. It's like, in what other organization would that be kind of the boss's job? Mm. It's yeah. very much, I think that's very particular to school leadership is that you do all the things. Oh, I said some lunch duty as well. It's doing everything. And also then trying to drive up standards and bring your passion and care into every part of it. Yeah. And I think, I, you know, I think that speaks volumes as well to you as a leader and having worked with you at a previous school, I know um, that your one of your strengths as a leader is demonstrating that there is no job that is beneath you. So if you see that something needs to be done, rather than go and seek out the person whose responsibility that is like, you know, go and find the cleaner, it's, well, the mop's there, I can just do it. And I think by doing that, you're kind of demonstrating that, you know, we're all in this kind of together. Um, and I think it, it shows staff that you are passionate about the school and that you are willing to get your hands kind of dirty or roll up your sleeves. And, and I think that sets a really good example as well. Um, I find it's the same. So one of the questions I actually have for you is, um, I, I look at all the things that we could be doing, all the things that we, I don't know, um, are working towards. And something I've really tried to work on, I guess, since I started is like working out my priorities. What do I tackle first? Um, so I wonder with all the things that you are overseeing or being involved in when do you feel you know when do you get a sense that you're being effective I think that's something I reflect on all the time mm. and it's like a guilty moment where you sit yep. down to watch Bake Off and you think should I have my laptop open mm-hmm. and then you think actually am I being effective if I'm spending all my evenings doing paperwork <laughs> should I should I not have done this at another time so for me the times I'm being most effective is if I'm in class if I am with the teachers I'm supporting them this term I've done a lot of team teaching I've done a lot of training around questioning if I am supporting that teaching and learning because currently that's my main role Mm. Or if I'm in a parent meeting and I can see the weight fall off that parent's shoulders because they have shared their load, they feel supported. That's when I think I'm being most effective because you can see that impact. If I'm at home signing 48,000 policies on Parago, am I being the most effective leader? Is there something else I could be doing with my time? Or am I being effective as a human? I mean, I have an 18 month old son. Mm. There are times at home when I need to be present as a mum as well to ensure that I 
I'm filling my own bucket so that I'm not just giving to people so that there is more errand to go around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, you know, I think you've almost come to a similar sort of conclusion I have that where I feel I'm being most effective, but where I think I'm having the most impact is in the relationships that I have um, with whether it's a staff member, who's like, like I say, I think we are constantly in contact with different kind of stakeholders. Um, what would you say is the kind of most surprising conversation you've had or, or what to somebody who doesn't work in a school would surprise them that you have um, had to engage with a particular person? So I guess for me, it would be um, some of the work we've done around the community um, and, you know, and the fact that I've had to be reporting things like abandoned vehicles was, you know, an example where I think not many people would probably know that, yeah, that the head teacher is doing that. I'm not sure. I think that surprising conversations to me are always when you're looking at what's caused something to happen. Mm -hmm. So if I'm wearing my Senko hat and I'm having a meeting about the next steps or why a child's been finding something really tricky, and then you hear about what's happened previously and you're thinking, oh, I see. And it's about reflecting on that and then making sure you build a better path forward. In terms of like surprising and what head, parts of a head teacher job, like your reporting of abandoned vehicles, I guess like almost everything I do in terms of like overseeing school dinners menus, um, sorting out the fact that we're in a weird area as a school. So I spend a lot of time dealing with the school streets teams and the traffic wardens mm -hmm. trying to avoid illegal parking situations and make sure that everyone's aware of that. As the head teacher, you also have like a weird sideline in graphic design, trying to make sure that your website and your newsletters are both legible and appealing. Yeah. So kind of, you do literally everything. And that's like the best and the worst things about being a head teacher, isn't it? And I think that's, like you say, it kind of comes to that sense of kind of guilt or responsibility. And you always think there might be something else you could be doing. And I guess I'm hoping, you know, that with um, experience, that'll be somewhere I know this is the most effective thing I could be doing. And, and I'll sometimes have conversations with our team where we've been pulled away from the task that we thought we were going to tackle that day and we're doing something else. But then we've had to reflect on it and been actually like there was a value to us doing that in that moment that was potentially more important than that strategic thing that we wanted to do um and i think it is it's sometimes being kind of kind to yourself isn't it where where things have changed at, at the drop of a hat so we spoke right at the beginning about your kind of experience of school um, and I know that a phrase that I use a lot is and I used it this morning with a parent was about inspiring a love of learning for children um, and so I guess what has your relationship yourself been with learning do you feel like you have um, whether you know you're inspired by your own school or not but do you think you've had a lifelong relationship with learning and how, is, how does that look as an adult? I've been frequently told I'm a bad learner <laughs> but I am near impossible to teach that I know that if I want to learn something it needs to come from me I learn things best when I'm doing them and I know that's true of most people I need to have something in my hands while I'm learning and I think that's something that when I'm looking at a classroom of learners or looking at a classroom of adults it's reminding them giving them that grace giving them that permission to hold something in their hands because 
there is not a person alive who learns well sitting up straight, staring at a board, staring at a PowerPoint for hours at a time. And it's just reminding people that learning looks different for everyone. It's not that one size fits all model where you're filling up a bucket and the learning's magically there. It's taking time, it's going back over things, it's rehearsing it, it's providing the learning in different ways. And as a leader of learners, whether they're adults or children, it's ensuring that there is that different diet of learning opportunities during the day, that children can come back to something again and again until they've mastered it. That if they've not got it during one lesson, what's gonna happen between that lesson and the next lesson to get them to where they need to be? If a teacher hasn't got something in a staff meeting, how am I supporting them to make sure that they can get better at marking, better at questioning, and not just leaving it and accepting that, oh, didn't go in. So that's, yeah, that's my relationship with learning and how I help foster it. So it's almost the idea of modeling the practice that you would like to see others model in their classrooms as well. Yep. We're kind of coming to my sort of final question then. So this one is basically in September, you had your first cohort of reception children. So a new set of um, children kind of started your school uh, and you're the only head teacher they've ever known which in itself is exciting and you know and, and you know they think of you in, in that leadership position if we were going to fast forward um sort of 20 years and they're sort of 24 25 years old what would you like as a common trait for them to have or to display that you set them on the journey with i'd like them to be kind i'd like them to treat other people well i'd like them to be kind to themselves and to know that it's okay not to be right the first time. As long as you keep trying, as long as you are striving towards something, that that's okay. So kind of really simple. Mm. That's thinking of, of my little ones as 24, 25 year olds, I don't want them to be living a sad life of pressure and feeling like they're not good enough. I want them to be kind to themselves and to understand that every day is a journey and you can keep getting better regardless of your starting point. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining me. I definitely feel inspired having spoken to you. I think there's definitely some things that I can go away and think, oh, like there's things that I can um, do even better having had this conversation. And I think that's why it's quite nice speaking to other head teachers um, and just getting the sense of how we're all tackling the same job in slightly different ways or in slightly different environments. Um, but I think sometimes speaking to somebody else and hearing their experiences makes you feel um that there's things that you can borrow or there's things that you can do better yourself um so yeah very appreciative brilliant thank you i'm really pleased that erin was able to join me on the podcast this week she's somebody who inspired me in my own journey towards school leadership and somebody who i still speak to most days and hopefully she has inspired you with the things that she shared and given you a bit more of an insight into what it's like to be a school leader. 